Welcome to the midweek edition of Legal AF with your regular anchors, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman at Nippolo. We waited patiently on this Wednesday for Judge Angoron to cooperate with our programming and drop the long-awaited decision, the judgment against Donald Trump, which we expect to be over $500 million. But at the, at the, at the recording here at our live, it didn't happen, so we need to move on, just as we've been waiting patiently for the D.C., Court of Appeals to render its ruling, which we sure will be against Donald Trump. We just don't know how in the presidential immunity to dismiss the indictment issue. We got to get that decision soon if there's any hope of trying Donald Trump in the D.C. election interference case before the voters vote in November. We're trying to still March is gone. We'll talk about a March trial that is going to happen um, on this show right from uh, my colleagues former office, the Manhattan DA, that March trial, it's such great, great justice, poetic justice, cosmic justice for uh, Alvin Bragg, the uh, Manhattan District Attorney, first to indict, looks like he's first to try a case, and I love the way he's framed it, Karen, we'll talk about it in this uh, podcast, he's framed it as a dress rehearsal for election interference by Donald Trump, and, and this case matters. There's new staffing, new people hired related to it, and an, and an impending March 24th trial date in front of Judge Mershon. We'll talk about what the prosecution and the, pardon me, and the judges have learned from watching the E. Jean Carroll trial and Donald Trump, who attended and testified and then did some other weird outlandish things, as did is putting in air quotes, his lawyer, Alina Haba, whatever she was doing. And we'll talk about whether Alina Haba, ha- her stock has gone up in Trump world or gone down in Trump world. Is she going to have more of a role based on her performance in, in uh, 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 eliciting an $83.5 million judgment from the jury or less of a role in criminal cases and other civil cases involving Donald Trump, of which there are still a number out there. We'll talk about whether her star has risen or fallen and what prosecutors and judges have learned in watching Donald Trump and Alina Haba in action as they prepare for their cases. And then we'll go to Georgia and do an update there. What's going on? I even hate saying these words. What's going on in the Nathan Wade divorce proceeding? And whether that has any relevancy whatsoever to Fawny T. Willis, Fulton County District Attorney, and her um, leading the grand jury through an indictment process that indicted Donald Trump and 16 others, including Mike Roman, and whether Mike Roman's motion to disqualify Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade because they may or may not have an outside-of-the-office relationship and took a couple of cheap vacations here and there has any bearing on whether the indictment has any validity. Is Judge McAfee going to dismiss the indictment because there's some sort of outside of work relationship between Fawny Willis and a person she hired as the special prosecutor? We'll get our former prosecutor's view on that. And then we'll talk about uh, how the Supreme Court is preparing for its mid-February oral argument on that very important issue. Is Donald Trump an insurrectionist and committed rebellion against the Constitution under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, to disqualify him from the ballot? States are still struggling. There's open warfare among the states on how to handle this. Illinois is like, we're going to leave him on the ballot. And Maine is like, we're going to wait to see what the Supreme Court does. And Colorado's like, we already made our decision at the Supreme Court level. We're ready to go. We've got uh, the brief that's now been filed by the 
the entity that uh, crew that brought the uh, actual um, case to Colorado and is, <clears throat> is on the other side of the appeal by Donald Trump. And then we've got amicus briefs, friends of the court briefs that have been filed that are powerful, that are strong, that are just right on the money, including one that's been filed by uh, 20 different people used to be former leaders and, and Republic who are Republicans and conservatives and people in leadership in Republican uh, administrations, including Judge Michael Ludig, who I'm going to have the honor of interviewing about a, a day or two after the oral argument. He and his fellow Republicans, including George Conway and my own law partner, uh, Nick Rostow, filed a powerful brief, as did 25 Civil War historians and legal historians, including the leading Civil War historian, because the 14th Amendment, Section 3, along with you know several other constitutional amendments, came out of the Civil War era, the Civil War generation, and were made and created an address to stop future insurrections. This is exactly what we're watching now. We'll talk about the briefing there. And then we'll touch on I guess, Taylor Swift, is she a psyop for the Pentagon? Is she an operative for uh, for Joe Biden and helping him get elected? Who makes more money, her or Travis Kelsey? This is stuff that our audience wants to know, and we will cover it all on the midweek edition of Legal AF. Karen. I, I, feel, I, mean, like, I, I, I feel like I've won, okay? I feel like I've won because <laughs> we were talking about when we were talking about all the embarrassment of riches, all the things we could talk about, we were going back and forth on Taylor Swift. And I said, you know, I think we at least have to talk about it and mention it. And I'm so happy that that you are, because it is something that we should address. Just when you thought MAGA couldn't get more insane, this might be one of the more insane conspiracy theories they have drummed up. But yeah. I, I don't know why I'm always surprised when every time I, I, I scratch my head and I because I always try to think maybe there's something to what there's this is this they've they've taken the cake here. So she's the Manchurian candidate. She's been trained mm -hmm. to go after us. You and I talked about it, you know, as we do our editorial things about what we're gonna do on the show. And I was initially against it, but I love my partner. I love my colleague, and I wanted to surprise you and keep it loose on, on the episode. Aww. Yes, we're going yes, to do it, and you're going to lead on it. Um, and, but I'm sure I'll chip in with something. So let's kick it all off. People come here for a reason, just things we have to talk about. And I want to kick it off with the one that you you referred to quite accurately, quite aptly, as the, what do you call it, the submarine case, the secret case? The, <laughs> the stealth the stealth case, the under-the-radar case. This is the case that's going to trial against Donald Trump. We're all excited about what happened um, with the the criminal, uh, I'm sorry, the civil federal jury ruling against Donald Trump for $83.5 million. There's going to be a new jury in state court in New York, New York State Supreme, presided over by Judge Juan Mershon in like six weeks. Um, and I don't, for the life of me at this current moment, know who the lawyers are going to be for Donald Trump. I think it's going to be Susan Necklace, but she also lost. Um, and Donald Trump doesn't like, even though he is a, the biggest loser, he's the, you know, that's, he's the biggest loser on television. Um, but he doesn't like losers. And she lost the 17 count felony conviction against one of his companies. Joe Tacopina noisily departed the case. Um, Todd Blanche, he's kept such a low profile. I barely know he exists. You know, um, you know, blink, blink, uh, Todd, if you're still on the case. And then you've got Alina Hava, who, I don't know, pretty or smart. She doesn't seem to be either at this moment when it comes to trial work. 
and how he um, would reward her with having her more involved with criminal cases after just watching her flail and fail in the se- in the state case, the civil case. I have no idea. But let's let's turn it over to you. What has happened? Um, how do you like? I'll throw it to you this way. How how do you like how Alvin Bragg has so uh, uh, so um, deftly? Uh, positioned this case as a dress rehearsal for election interference by Donald Trump so as not to just think it's about the Stormy Daniels affair. And then talk about the new people, I'm sure you know them, who have been added to the the trial team and what you think that means. And then we'll talk about what we as practicing lawyers think the prosecutors and judges have learned about watching Donald Trump and Alina Haba act out in just a trial that just ended last week. Yeah, look, the Manhattan DA's office is one of 60 counties in the state of New York. It literally just encompasses the tiny little island of Manhattan, not even all of New York City. There's five different district attorneys because there's five boroughs in Manhattan. And so the Manhattan DA's office literally just covers the tiny island of Manhattan, but it also happens to be the financial capital of the United States of America. So so although it's a, a state prosecutor's office, it's always had an outsized uh, influence on on the legal community because it handles some of the biggest cases in the country. And I think that people still sometimes look at it as, but it's just a state prosecutor's office. But since I spent my entire career there, I know that it's probably, and I know I'm slightly biased, but it is the best prosecutor's office, one of the best prosecutor's offices in the country with some of the best lawyers. And to this day, it's the best lawyers I've ever worked with. And they know what they're doing and they try cases. And the thing about state about the Manhattan DA's office is unlike federal prosecutors who are also excellent, federal prosecutors really get handed, they, they pick and choose their cases. They do a very small volume of cases compared to uh, a, a state court prosecutor and they pick and choose, right? The FBI or whoever investigates a case. And once they have a ton of evidence, then they hand it over to the prosecutor who then prosecutes the case. And it's it's a, I, we always like to say it's sort of wrapped up in a neat little bow and and they get it. State, if you're in state court, which the Manhattan DA's office is, you cut your teeth on all the cases that the New York City Police Department makes by arresting people. And so the evidence, sometimes the evidence is terrible, right? Sometimes you can't imagine the eyewitnesses are, are everybody under the sun. Sometimes there's not a lot of evidence. Sometimes there, there is, and you, you just, you don't get to pick and choose your cases. You, you are handed what you have. And as a result, you are trained to deal with anything. And so you've got that background and, and you've got trial lawyers who, what they do is try cases. And so you've got that backdrop. And Alvin Bragg investigated the case, and he brought this case to a lot of criticism, partly because, if you recall, uh, Popak, there was another case that they were investigating. It was the criminal companion case to the very case that we are on uh, verdict watch, waiting for Judge Ngoron to deliver his verdict. There was a companion joint investigation between the Manhattan DA's office and uh, and um, Letitia James, who's the attorney general. She was doing the civil, Manhattan DA was doing the criminal, 
And Alvin Bragg said, I want the civil case to go first. I'm not ready to bring the criminal case. And P.S. I have this other case that I would like to bring that has the statute of limitations uh, that is that is ticking. So let's let's see. It's about to end. Let's see if we can bring this case because Alvin Bragg has always seen this as an election interference case. It was never about a hush, hush money case, but the media portrayed it that way. I thought the media really criticized the DA's office for bringing this case. It's about a porn star. It's got Michael Cohen, and they were criticizing my. Michael Cohen because he's got a checkered past. He has, uh, he, you know, he was, he was Donald Trump's enforcer. He was his henchman and he has a conviction for lying, right? For lying to Congress. And so that's problematic. And people thought, how, how are you going to put him on as a witness? I, of course, know that he's, he's a great witness, right? He's corroborated by all sorts of documents and, and, and who better than to talk about what Donald Trump does than the guy who worked for him. So again, that's the bread and butter of a state court prosecutor. They know how to deal with I imperfect witnesses or, or witnesses who have who have uh, who have who have a past. And at the same time, Alvin Bragg always talked about this as an election interference case, but nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody wanted to listen to it. They just looked at this as the porn star salacious case. And I think you know he. But rather than than go on a media tour, he put his head down. He continued to investigate, he continued to do his job, and he continued to silently get ready for trial because the case was on the calendar for March 24th and they were always going to answer ready. They were willing to step aside, Alvin Bragg said, if, if Judge Chutkin had asked, but it, it's become very clear because we're also waiting still for the DC circuit. I don't know what is taking them so long and the presidential immunity issue, but so it's pretty clear that that case isn't going. The Jack Smith, Tanya Chutkin, Washington DC election interference case isn't going in early March the way it was supposed to, I think it was March 5th. But so instead they, they're not, they know it's going and they're getting ready and getting ready and getting ready. And part of a sign that shows they're serious and they mean business is they put a guy named Josh Steinglass on the case. Josh Steinglass is, you know, he's one of the, I used to always say that we, we had a stable of thoroughbred racehorses at the Manhattan DA's office. They are the excellent lawyers, the excellent prosecutors who, when you have a really big case that you need to win, it's complicated and it's got all sorts of issues. You bring in one of your senior trial counsel, that's their title. It's probably the most prestigious title in the office. It's given out very, very gingerly. Um, it's probably the most coveted title in the office. It's called senior trial counsel. And, and it's not a legacy kind of, oh, you're, you've gotten older. We're just going to give you that title kind of title. It's truly the biggest honor in that office. And Josh Steinglass is one of those people. He's one of the senior trial counsels. I've he, worked with he, him. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no. I just was going to say I've worked with him on many cases. I've assigned many cases to him when I he was worked. his- he worked the 17 count uh, yep. uh, tax fraud case against yep. the Trump organization. Successfully pinned it on him, didn't he? Yep, he did. He was one of he was one of the, one of the prosecutors on that case, and and he knows where all the bodies are buried in the Trump organization. He's already dived deep into it. He's already dealt with that case. You know, the funny thing is, 
I wouldn't be surprised if he's been on the case for a long time, if he's been on the case since the beginning, and we're just finding out about it now. Because that's typical Manhattan DA's office. They, you're not going to get any leaks. You're not going to get any information uh, from anybody, and including me, who I know people there, and and I didn't have that information. And I, I wouldn't be surprised because the, you you learn how to be really really buttoned up when you have a big case like this. But it's but now he's starting to go to court, and people are finding out and. And so he's on the case and it just shows, that shows me they are ready and they are going to answer ready and that case is going to go. And for all the naysayers who are criticizing Alvin Bragg for bringing this case, why does this have to go first? Why is he bringing this? Oh my God, it's not that serious compared to all the others. Well, look, I mean, look what's happening. This might be the only case that goes before the election. This might be the only case where it goes to a jury and we're able to hold him accountable. And so, so that, that's what's happening there. And, um, and to answer another one of your points, uh, Popak, one of the questions you had is, is what, what is Judge Mershon and the prosecutors, what have they learned from, uh, from the E. Jean Carroll case? And I think, and the Ngoron case, I think that the thing that they have learned is how to control Donald Trump, right? How to rein him in, how to control him and how to keep and, and control him, not in a bad way, but so that but control him so that the rules of evidence are followed, so that the jury is not tainted by inappropriate information, so that a fair trial is had. And Donald Trump has has shown over and over and over again that he doesn't that he doesn't want the rules to apply to him, that he wants to do and say what he wants to do and say. However, it's very clear that he can be reined in. That's what Judge Kaplan was able to do. The other, um, when the case was tried, uh, the 17 count felony conviction for tax fraud against Donald Trump's organizations and Alan Weisselberg, I know you talked a lot about Josh Steinglass. There was another woman that was his colleague on that case. Who was that again? Yeah, so that's Susan Hoppinger. Susan Hoppinger is also an extraordinary uh, trial lawyer. So Susan is she Hoppinger, on this case? The new she's case? on this case, yes. Yeah. So she's always okay. been on this case. So Susan is a former prosecutor from way back when, but then she's really cut her teeth as a defense attorney all these years. She's one of the kind of superstar New York defense attorneys, criminal defense attorneys, um, who Alvin Bragg brought in. I, I didn't work with her when I was the the chief assistant under Cy Vance. When Alvin Bragg came in, he brought her in and she was the head of one of the divisions, the investigation division, which is essentially the white collar uh, arm of the Manhattan DA's office. Um, she, though, right now, because of this case, isn't really able to uh, to be a full-time um, manager of that division. So you've got another also amazing woman who's helping out with that while Susan Hoffinger is devoting her full time because this case is going to trial. And you know, as a trial lawyer, what that's like, it's all consuming. It's 24 seven. It's when you're, when you're on trial, there is nothing else. You are, you're up all night. You're up early in the morning. You don't eat. You don't, you know, I had a, I had a trial, my very, I had a trial once that lasted so long and it was so stressful and so intense. Um, there were so many defendants and little old me that, you know, I just couldn't eat and I was stressed out and I lost so much weight during the 
trial that the jury was worried about me. They afterwards, after the conviction, I, 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 at one point I got a nosebleed in front of the jury. It was so embarrassing, but I, well, I just was, I mean, I cannot tell you how stressed well, I was. It was a well, huge case. And yeah. they literally were like, I think they felt sorry for me. They're like, oh my God, is she okay? I was a young prosecutor way back in the day. And, and thankfully they convicted, but all they wanted to talk about afterwards with me was, are you okay? Oh my God. Yeah. This is like, they were so nice to me. I'm like, I'm fine. It was just my, stressful. My, my first, my first federal trial that went six weeks with a new judge, I lost 15 pounds because the yeah. judge didn't give the lawyers lunch. He decided <laughs> to work through lunch, let the, let the jury leave. So I lived on a Cuban coffee and an apple every day for six weeks. But we had a funny joke just to talk about stress. We were up against the government. We were up against the Department of Justice and some people from Maine Justice in Washington. And one gentleman was very heavy and one gentleman was very small. And as we watched, we couldn't tell if we were just delusional, we were just getting giddy. But as the trial went on, we could swear that the smaller guy was getting smaller and the larger guy was getting larger. And our theory was that the larger guy was nibbling on the smaller guy. Nice. But that, you know, listen, you got to like, you, your, your brain has to take a break on, on these kind of stressful trials. People, yeah. as you described it, I don't think I, we can, in many professions, I don't know if you can um, completely um, empathize with what a skilled and dedicated trial lawyer needs to do for a complicated case morning, noon, and night until that case is over. You live, breathe, and sleep it. That's not Alina Haba. That's not what we saw. Well, I was going to say, except if you're Alina Haba who yeah. can rush off to New Hampshire and show up behind her client while lying to the judge yeah. and saying she had COVID. I mean, that that would never happen no. in in my practice. So, well, what, what I what I I agree with you on what they've learned, and, and believe me, prosecutors and judges were watching intently how um, Trump acted and acted out and testified and lied in the New York uh, Attorney General civil fraud case, and then and then back to back. I mean, you rarely get this opportunity as a prosecutor or a judge to see in real time that same defendant and maybe part of their trial team in action in real time just weeks or a month before your own trial. I mean, that is a, that's a chef's kiss. That's a gift. And believe me, they're watching just as they're scrubbing social media and watching every little tick and every little whatever of Donald Trump, you know, to help prepare their cases. There's somebody that's watching the psychosis of Donald Trump in action and how to push his buttons. Now, he may not testify at any of these criminal trials. He doesn't have an obligation to under, under our constitutional scheme. However, he has to attend. And if, he's, and if he tries in the state case in front of Judge Mershon or in the federal case in front of Judge uh, Chutkin or, anywhere, or anyone else or down Scott McAfee, tries to pull that shtick that he pulled in front of the jury in a civil case in which he muttered under his breath, not really, you know, used stage whispers for them to hear, they had him criticize witnesses, the victim of his rape in this case, um, get up and be disrespectful to the court, the judge, the opposing counsel who happened to be a female attorney, the, the jury by extension in his, in his antics, that's not going to go well for him in a criminal setting. Um, you saw that the jury so punished Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case and Alina Haba, I believe both, they felt disrespected by both, that all, all that Roberta Kaplan on behalf of E. Jean Carroll asked the jury for was uh, $20 million or so. $27 million in terms of punitive damages. That was the number that she set as her target. And the jury said, how about 83 and a half million? 
That, that was a jury-created number. And that is all because Donald Trump thought more Donald Trump is better because he did nothing in the E. Jean Carroll case in May. He didn't know he didn't show up. He never arrived. The jury never saw him. So he thought more Donald Trump. And then Alina Haba, he calculated that the reason he lost is because Joe Tacopina was his lead trial lawyer and the jury didn't like Joe Tacopina. Well, God love Joe Tacopina. I, I have my own I have my own criticisms of how he cross-examined the rape victim so ham-fisted and, and haphazardly that he pissed off the jury. But he only his jury only returned a $5 million yeah. verdict, 5.2. So what is the difference? Alina Haba? disrespectful. And and juries, as you know well, juries l- don't think the judge is an a-hole. The jury thinks the judge is their boss and that they're in it together for this period. And they're very respectful because the judge is very respectful of the jury and the jury process. And they are, you know, the judge often talks to the jury in soothing tones, you know, at, at, at breaks and at different points because they're in this together for justice. And so when a jury sees a judge upset and admonishing lawyers, they don't side with the lawyer like Alina Haba, I guess, thought was happening. They side with the judge. And they thought that Alina Haba was being disrespectful and impertinent and unqualified and didn't an amateur and they're pissed off because their day job at least for the period of the trial was to was to be the jury i think and i so, think also just to underscore yeah. your point a little bit hopak you know the first trial they were not, they were also the 5 million represented sexual assault and mm-hmm. defamation That's here right. This didn't, this, the, the damage calculation here wasn't about the sexual assault or that defamation. It was just the earlier defamation and the punishment, I think, was because of the, I'm going to do it a thousand times over and over and over again. So I think you, you, what you're saying is on steroids because what, you know, think about it. They thought a sexual assault was only worth 5 million, but, but punish him for what he keeps doing here. Uh, This is a huge loss for him. Just huge. He can, he can. I, I did a hot take on between the $83.5 million, the $500 million plus that we're expecting from Judge Angoron, he's out of cash. He can say what he wants about it being a three billionaire, but good can luck going to- pack, can, he, can, he get his, can he grift the money from his supporters? Not supposed to. Not to pay judgments. He's paying his attorney's fees, $50 million or so, from a PAC by way of taking money back from a super PAC that's not supposed to be used for attorney's fees because he lent the super PAC money, then he asked for the $43 million back to pay for the attorney's fees. But it, everything that I have seen analyzed by people who are more expert than me on, on election law and criminal election law says that he cannot use that money. Now, the PAC money, he can set up his own separate, separate fundraiser for it, but that's Go a lot. Of, but GoFundMe, but that's a lot. <laughs> Patreon, but that's a that is a very high number. It's not like I need. Hey, can you tide me over with ten million till I get paid? This is like five hundred million dollars. He's going to have to sell things, and he kept talking about in the E. Jean Carroll case. Banks love me. There's no victims here. Yeah, Deutsche Bank noisily fired him and and declared they're not going to go back into business with him. Capital One, which is a big bank for him, is not doing business with him. He hasn't taken a loan out. His his business is dead in the water. The 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 Monitor reported uh, in the uh, civil fraud case as the last nail in the coffin for Donald Trump before Ed Goron, the judge, rules. She said, "A, I can't figure out where the fraud's going on here or not." <laughs> 
B, there's a lot of um, control problems still in how they operate their businesses. They're lying. They're not being forthright with me. And C, they haven't done a darn thing in 14 months in terms of transacting business. They haven't bought a property, sold a property, entered into a new deal, taken out a bank loan. How are they operating? All they're living on is the 60 or $70 million. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's not enough to cover in in net revenue from the stream from Mar-a-Lago and golf courses and everything else. So he's busted. He's going to have to get the money from somewhere. I don't know if that's Dubai or the uh, United Arab Emirates, but he's not getting it from any legitimate bank in the United States because he's his, his auditor fired him for fraudulent uh, statements. He's been a judge twice of committing persistent fraud in his business operation, and he's the subject of 91 criminal counts. What crazy. bank's board of directors is going to allow them to lend money to him? It's crazy. So I want to just piggyback on what you're saying. Slightly different from when you said the the um, E. Jean Carroll jury, they um, the E. Jean, the e. Jean Carroll jury um, awarded damages. So just criminally, okay, in the criminal case, the jury doesn't determine punishment. They only determine guilt or innocence. So it's very different from civil where they they also determine the punishment, right? The amount. So this, what you will see is in the criminal case is you will see they will find the defendant guilty or not guilty of, there's 34 counts. And a lot of people are asking, what will he be sentenced to? Can he go to, can he be sentenced to jail? Will he be put in? And so this is a low level. He's, he's, he's charged with 34 counts of falsifying a business record in the first degree. It is a low level felony in New York. It's the lowest level. And in, in New York, the felonies go A, B, C, D, E. An E felony is the lowest level, and it's an E nonviolent felony, so which makes it even lower. So if it's a violent crime, it's it's you get an enhanced sentence, and if it's nonviolent, so it's a white collar case. Um, the sentencing range is you can get zero, right? You can get probation, you could get some other non-jail, non-incarceratory sentence. And the max you can get is I can't remember, it's an indeterminate sentence. It's either one to three or one and a third to four. I can't exactly remember, but, but that's, that's kind of the ceiling, which means you'll, you'll serve around a year, year and a half before you're eligible for parole. And then you, uh, can serve up to that, that max sentence, whether it's three or four, I just, I just don't recall. Um, and another question is, can they be consecutive? Meaning, can you have like, can you, can they be piled and stacked on top of each other? And the answer is yes, technically it can, some of them can. Uh, I would say of the 34 counts, uh, 17 of them, uh, actually wait, no, 11 of them, I think. There were, how many transactions were there? Um, was it 11 payments, Popak? You talking about to Stormy Daniels? Yeah. To Mike, to Michael Cohen, how many? Yeah, I'm not sure. In, I'm not sure of the exact number off the top. Of my so, head. so if I re remember correctly, there's one or two or th there's two or three charges related to each time he paid. Um, I think there's two time two charges. Um, there's two two charges for each payment, and then one of them had three charges because it had to do with it had to do with. Um, 
a, f a fake check, and then a fake business entry for a payment. Those two, because it's essentially the same transaction, even though it's two counts, those two would not be allowed to be consecutive to each other. Yeah. So, but but this but the next transaction could. So he could get prison. Will he get prison? And my answer to all the people who ask that question, what do I think? What do I predict? Um, and this is 100% opinion, just based on what I've seen other judges do in other cases. I think um, at most he would get what's called a six-month split with probation. I could see a judge saying, okay, well, I'll give you six months of house arrest or six months in jail with followed by five years of probation, maybe one to three. Um, but I don't know that a state court judge, this is where there is a difference, I think. I don't know that a state court judge is going to put Donald Trump in jail uh, if, if he doesn't have the cover of also a federal judge. What about a Trump-hating Democratic um, operative whose daughter worked for the Biden administration and who has it out for Donald Trump? Won't he do that? <laughs> Karen, hold that thought. We're going to talk about that and a lot more on the cliffhanger I just created. We'll talk about Fawny Willis and if she's up to her eyeballs and any real issue that could lead to the dismissal of the indictment. And we'll talk about the Supreme Court gearing up for whether Donald Trump will be on the ballot or not under the 14th Amendment, Section 3. But first, one of our 2024 sponsors. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Popular food and drinks are known to stain teeth. Beverages like coffee and wine stain them over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. As you probably know because of all the videos we do, I'm a big coffee drinker, and over time I noticed my teeth lost some of their brightness that I was used to seeing. 97% of Smile Actives users in a clinical trial reported up to six shades whiter on average, all within 30 days. Simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. It's been formulated with polyclean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves and crannies to get better whitening. Smile Actives makes a teeth whitening gel that can simply be added to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth. So no change in your routine, no extra time, and no more messy strips, trays, or lights. People will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com slash LegalAF today to receive a special buy one, get one free offer with auto delivery plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash LegalAF Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bedsheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher 
three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash legal AF to try Miracle made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo Legal AF at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Legal AF and use the code Legal AF to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash legal AF to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. All right, we're back. I didn't mean to cut you off there. You knew that was a uh, tongue-in-cheek <laughs> question. I, I, I understand what you're trying to say about the sentencing. We'll, we'll continue to follow it, but I think it's important. I think the kind of round out this segment, I think it's important that that uh, um, Alvin Bragg um, kind of hung in there with the brass ones against a lot of public attack and criticism, including when he went on this show. <laughs> when you interviewed him. Uh, and I give him a lot of credit for that because it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to do what he's done, which is to indict and be the first one before there was the cover of Jack Smith, before there was even a Jack Smith on this particular case, or even a Fawny Willis who was still investigating. He came out of the box and he made the decision to indict um, from that office and, uh, and and seek the indictment from the grand jury. Let's talk about somebody else who uh, we have a lot of love for on this uh, podcast and on this network because of her courage, because of her bravery, because of her putting herself in the crosshairs of MAGA um, and under threat of violence and personal attack. Fawny T. Willis, Fulton County District Attorney, looks to be um, a, I guess, the more MAGA acts out and attacks you personally, the more you know that you're getting uh, that your case is probably pretty strong against them. And the more we reported on Fawny Willis getting, you know, four uh, convictions already, four plea deals, three felony convictions, three of Donald Trump's lawyers to testify on her behalf, another dozen people to become state uh, witnesses for the prosecution and flip, including eight or nine fake electors winning at every round at the federal court when Donald Trump's um you know, people like Mark Meadows and Jeff Clark and other people try to bring their case out of um, uh, Scott McAfee's courtroom and state court and bring it across the street to federal court as a as a as a two as a first step of a two step process to maybe getting themselves dismissed on supremacy clause grounds or on immunity grounds of some sort. She's won all of those, and Nathan Wade should be credited along with that because. He's been doing the lion's share of the on-the-ground line prosecutor work after she brought him in as a special prosecutor along with the team that he heads. Um, she's done, of course, she's made all the major decisions there. It's her prosecutorial discretion and judgment that we're talking about. And, you know, the fact that it's come to light that maybe she also has some sort of relationship uh, with a soon-to-be-divorced Nathan Wade, and she herself's not married. Who, like we've always been, I've seen your hot take. I've done my hot takes. Uh, this is a big, uh, a big nothing, a big who cares. I've seen all the prosecutor ethics rules about 
um, relationships or using taxpayer dollars. And you know, I have that working theory that runs the other way. I think if she, if he is her boyfriend, he is working harder for less money than than otherwise. I, and and to people that say, "Oh my God, he's getting three fifty an hour." That's a very low number, by the way, for successful lawyers. And oh, he, he got seven hundred thousand dollars for two years of work. I don't know. Jack Smith's team took him, you know, had to be paid fourteen million for their work. I mean, this is like very efficient work. It's the efficiency that comes from having a relationship with your boss. That's what I think. Um, but all kidding aside, it doesn't lead to the dismissal of the indictment. They just want to embarrass. Fonnie Willis and in a misogynistic way, in a racial way, and Nathan Wade too, but now it's going to all be dumped in the lap of Scott McAfee, who mid-month, is mid-February, is going to have to hold a hearing about whether the indictment needs to be dismissed and whether Fonnie Willis and or Nathan Wade need to be dismissed from um, continuing to prosecute the case. And finally, and I hate to even have to report this because I hate to even have to know anything about it, it looks like we have a, at least a temporary um uh temporary property settlement and settlement of all issues between nathan wade and his soon-to-be former wife jocelyn wade i like i hate that i even know that i hate that i even have to report on that it makes me uncomfortable because it doesn't have anything to do with donald trump's criminal conduct as alleged in the indictment or mike roman the election day mule for the fake elector certificates you know who worked hand in glove with ken chesbro to try to overturn the will of the people that's what the indictment's about Karen, bring us up to speed from there forward and what you what you think is going to happen with Scott McAfee to the indictment and to Fawny Willis's position as lead prosecutor along with Nathan Wade. Look, the one the one thing that MAGA has always been really good at doing is they it's like I, I always think it's like they, they throw a ball and we're all like golden retrievers that go and follow their ball. And and I'm guilty of it as anybody else, but but this is the perfect example of them making hay out of literally nothing, yet the media, including myself, is spending time defending her and defending this case because it's just, to call this a scandal, to call this an affair, to call this anything is is really, I think, just misstating what it is. It's an office romance, if it's even true, which I, I assume it is, because if it wasn't, I'm sure she would have denied it. Um, and all the evidence is that his contract allowed for more hours than the other two individuals uh, who she also brought on. There were a lot of people who turned her down for the job. I don't blame them. I'm not sure why anyone would sign up for what, what happens to you if, God forbid, you you get involved in uh, prosecuting or in any way um, on the other side of the V in the verses of Donald Trump. Um, you know, if it's if it's the, the, the government versus Trump or a private citizen versus Trump, if, if you're on the other side of that V, you are signing up for a, a very difficult life, um, much more than just your job description. You have your entire private life turned upside down, which is what's clearly happening here. And you get death threats and you have to have um, security, et cetera. So I am not surprised that lots of other attorneys turned her down. She turned to a trusted advisor, Nathan Wade, who's qualified uh, by all accounts. And he has a lot of experience. He's a trial lawyer. He has great judgment. And of course, they people are going after him. And as, as Fonnie Willis said, but they're not going after the, the 
to white people that she brought on board. We'll see what Judge McAfee will do. I'm actually in the process of trying to do research <clears throat> and talking to local Georgia lawyers because I want to know things like, excuse me, I want to know things like, what exactly is this hearing? In other words, who goes first? Who has the burden of proof? What is the burden of proof? What is the standard that Mike Roman and all the other defendants have to um, achieve? What is the issue that we're looking at? What's the allegation? What exactly uh, is, what, if they subpoena Fonnie Willis, what are her rights? What can she what can she justifiably say, none of your effing business if they ask her certain private questions that should belong nowhere in a court of law? And what will she be required to answer, if anything? I, I think it's important that we all educate ourselves before this hearing on February 15th to learn about this uh, so that when we watch it, thankfully, because it will be televised, we can, we can really analyze it for ourselves. I still don't under, you know, of course, Donald Trump has, has now joined the motion and, and you know, is, is, is saying, uh, I, I, I want to join Mike Roman's motion. And, and I also agree that she somehow is disqualified as a result of this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely something that is salacious and is the ball that the golden retriever is, is chasing after because we're all talking about that. We're not talking about the fact that Donald Trump tried to steal and disenfranchise the voters of Georgia. So, so I, I don't I like know. The, let me interrupt for one second. I like the research thing. That's great. I don't really have a lot of Georgia contacts. So if you can find that out, because there are, you know, sort of, sort of people understand, you know, we practice, I have a national trial practice. So does, Karen, but you know, the intricacies of the Georgia criminal procedural code, you got to really talk to somebody that's drinking from that water fountain and understands that. The Mike, the uh, Donald Trump Me Too brief, I thought was also just sort of both mean spirited and again should be dead on arrival with a judge like Scott McAfee. Their big argument was oh, they didn't like the fact that she took to the pulpit the day before the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, uh, day. Um, and defended herself indirectly and her judgment and her discretion and her professionalism um, and questioned uh, why she was being attacked for hiring one of three special prosecutors who happened to be black and why they were questioning the amount of money that he was receiving um, and in his capabilities and all of that. And they said, aha, she violated special prosecutor ethics rule because she made extrajudicial statements that will bring prejudice upon Donald Trump. How? I mean, the fact that she was in a black church. I got news for Donald Trump, and I did this on another hot take. The jury of his peers in Fulton County, Georgia, which I've been going to regularly for 30 years, my sister lives there or near there, is going to be very diverse. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, so if you thought they're all going to be like, you know, wearing MAGA hats and sitting there, they're not. Uh, and nothing she could say is going to bring any more prejudice on him than the jury may already have but the jury is going to be selected by, you know, with Judge McAfee and with the help of Wadir. And they're going to get a jury of nine or 12, whatever it's supposed to be in, in, in Georgia, that's going to at least tell the, everybody that they're going to be fair and impartial. They're going to listen to the evidence and they're going to assess it, as you said, live, uh, guilt or innocence under the standard that they are charged with. Um, we're going to talk about um, George, I love the fact that you're going to reach out to people in our network, your network, and um, and we'll give that sort of really granular 
information about what is this hearing going to be about. And then, you know, fortunately, as everybody now knows from the Midas Touch Network, the two million strong Midas Touch Network. Proud to say that we almost mm-hmm. almost went over the top right on our show. Ah, I said if we, we said if we if they did, we were going to buy a T-shirt to to the two millionth person, but it didn't I happen know. on our show. So it didn't happen. But the but the um, good thing about Scott McAfee, among all the cases that we were going to talk about here, including the United States Supreme Court next, is that uh, he puts everything on YouTube. It's part of his chamber rules, and we'll get it and a live feed. And you, some combination, you, me, and Ben, or all three of us, well, depending upon the time of day, we'll jump on and we will do running commentary just uh, during, after, before about that particular hearing, which now we understand that Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade have been subpoenaed. They're going to be there anyway. <laughs> you can subpoena them, but they're going to be there anyway on the issue of whether they should be disqualified or whether the indictment. That's the, that's the thing that doesn't get enough press is that it's not just to disqualify and embarrass uh, and impugn the integrity of, of Fawny Willis and, and Nathan Wade. It's to dismiss the indictment. And so they, they've overreached so much, it's almost making it easy on Scott McAfee. He's not going to dismiss the indictment over you know, whether Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade are drinking buddies in Napa Valley or not. They're just, they're just not. I mean, I can't put that in any more, more, any more certain terms. But we're going to talk about courts like the United States Supreme Court that barely gives us the audio of their oral arguments. And we're going to talk about the amicus briefs that have been filed now as the, as the Supreme Court takes up the issue, which I'm sure they're loath to do, but they have no choice, is whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and rebelled against the Constitution and is barred from the ballot or can be barred for the ballot under the 14th Amendment, Section 3 or not? Are judges supposed to be making that decision? Is Congress supposed to be making that decision, despite the literal textual language of the Constitution? Um, and what about the arguments that have been raised, not even by the parties, but by amicus, friends of the court briefs filed by the leading historians about civil war and the amendments to the Constitution that arose out of that era, and leading um, Federalist Society, conservative Republicans, leadership in Republican administrations who filed their own brief as well, who all come to the same conclusion, which is Donald Trump should be barred and banned from the uh, ballot as an insurrectionist, someone who rebelled against the Constitution under that 14th Amendment. We'll talk about all of that and Taylor Swift. And whether she is, she is a psyop because she works for Voice of America and encourages people to vote next on the later part of our podcast. But first, another word from our sponsors. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. If you're still feeling the stress of the holidays like me, you know it can really take its toll on your skin. But OneSkin can help your skin bounce back with science-backed TLC that refreshes and reverses signs of aging from the inside out, something women my age need to be on top of. Their products are powered by scientifically proven peptide called OS1 that targets fine lines and wrinkles right where they start, which is your cells. This isn't just another skincare routine, it's real science breakthrough. In fact, OS1 is the first of its kind to actually turn back the clock instead of just masking the signs of aging. With their full line of face, eye, and body, and sun, and travel size products, 
here they are. I actually love them. And people always say to me, I can't believe you are 57 years old. And it's mostly because of my skin and I take care of it. And this is a really fantastic product. It is, it doesn't just promise healthier skin. They prove it. And I am all in. I love using one skin as part of my nighttime routine before bed. I'm absolutely thrilled with the results. My skin not only looks more refreshed and healthy, it feels soft too. Just cleanse and apply twice daily. One skin, uh, you can put it on your face, your eyes, your body. And there's also a shield that can be used with other products to um, help with sunscreen. So it easily fits into your current skincare routine. And for a limited time, our listeners will get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code LegalAF when you check out at oneskin.co. That's not com, it's .co. Start 2024 off right and give your skin the scientifically proven love it deserves with OneSkin. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code LegalAF at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with legal AF as your code. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Uh, this is a great time to have healthy, beautiful skin. Okay, we're back. Okay, I we're love gonna our sponsors. I know. I do. Well, thank God. Thank God. People, uh, I, can't, I can't emphasize enough. People are like, why do they need sponsors? Because, you know... We wouldn't be on the air without them. Let's be frank. And they support our mission. We pick the sponsors, sure. They pick us. And they want to be on with audiences that are that are the Democrat, the, the demographics of our audience for a reason. Uh, we we attract smart, good looking. <laughs> now I'm pandering to our audience. Um, we attract, you know, a really great group of people and they want to promote to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. The good, healthy uh, capitalist economy of, that supports our constitutional republic. Let's let's move on from our sponsors. You, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a pick them here like they do in, in sports and sports betting. You want to do Taylor Swift first or you want to do the Supreme Court? Mm-hmm. We'll no, end okay. with Taylor Swift. Okay. Let's do the United States Supreme Court. I'll frame it. I'll turn it over to you. Uh, Colorado, of course, four to three, their United States Supreme Court ruled that Donald Trump was uh, an officer under the United States. He took the appropriate oath of office as required by the 14th Amendment, Section 3, to support, or in this case, defend, pre- preserve, and protect the Constitution. And therefore, without uh, completely self-affecting without any constitutional or sorry congressional action whatsoever by the literal terms of the 14th amendment because he engaged in insurrection and rebellion as outlined in the Jan 6 committee report in all the ways that he did that interfered with the peaceful transfer of power he um, violated his oath to the constitution therefore could be barred and banned by secretaries of states and, or whomever is responsible for that individually in each state to put Donald Trump on the ballot that uh, that uh, issue is up on appeal with the United States Supreme Court, who has taken in all the briefs and has set the oral argument for February the 8th. It'll be audio. We'll be able to report on it. We'll hear how hot of a bench that's going to be. And this is a dilemma for John Roberts and the others who, who uh, consider themselves to be textualists and originalists, which means that they look to the literal text of the parchment 
of the drafters and the framers and the uh, people who were worked on the passage of each amendment to determine what they meant by the words on the page. Well, the words on the page here don't say go look somewhere else and go to go to Congress. We'll put up a we'll put up here the Fourteenth Amendment, Section Three. Doesn't come with an owner's manual because it was it's it's quite obvious what it means. If you engage, it's simple. It's it's elegant in its simplicity. If you engage in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution, that's what the same means. Then you then you are and you took an oath as a federal officer under the under America. Okay, well that he satisfies Donald Trump satisfies all of those criteria. He's an officer. He is the chief executive officer of America. He's the president of, of the United States of America. He took an oath in office to support, defend, and do whatever towards the Constitution. So his relationship with the Constitution is the right kind of relationship. And the reason, as argued in Judge Ludig's brief, along with 20 other people, including my law partner and George Conway, the argument there is that he, Section 3, comes out of the Civil War era. And you have to respect that the people of the civil, the, the, the generation of the Civil War era who passed a bunch of amendments at the same time to protect newly freed slaves, now black Americans, from being lynched, from being denied the right to vote, from having insurrectionists come back to the, to the government, right? We just got through fighting a civil war over slavery. Yes, yes, Nikki Haley. The reason South Carolina tried to secede, secede your own state that you were the governor of is because of slavery. It's right there in their declaration. And that was the beginning, as, as noted in this brief I'm talking about, of the Civil War and an attempt to stop the inauguration of Abraham Lincoln. Does this sound familiar? Okay, so you have to, their argument is, you have to understand what the Civil War generation and restoration generation uh, was trying to say to us today about future insurrectionists and what we should do about them, including one that could be the president. We had an insurrectionist president. His name was Jefferson Davis. He left the Union. He went and became the president of the Confederacy, and he was tried for insurrection. He also argued, you don't have to try me for insurrection because I'm already disqualified from office under the 14th Amendment, Section 3. So between the historians led by the leading historian who's at Princeton in the world on civil war and civil war law and this other group, so these, these 50 people, they're talking to an audience on the United States Supreme Court of originalists and textualists and saying, yeah, you want to be an originalist and textualist? You used it in order to find the Second Amendment gave gun ownership almost unfettered rights? Okay. You used it to take away a woman's right to choose? Okay. Then to be consistent, you should be banning and barring Donald Trump from office without resort to Congress and don't take any exit ramps. Ban and bar him. He's an insurrectionist and engaged in, in, uh, in rebellion against the Constitution. Karen, what do, you, what do you think about it and what do you think about the members that this, these briefs are addressed to? Roberts, who's trying to hold the center, Kavanaugh, uh, and Thomas and Alito, who would always side with the actual language of the Constitution, except they got their buddy Donald Trump in their crosshairs. What do you think happens next? Uh, 
first of all, I love that there's a, a, a leading expert in the world on civil war law. I can only imagine the conversation with his parents when he's going to school to study that. They're like, that's like, what? that's so arcane. Why would that ever be useful? Why don't you become a lawyer where it, you know, you can do something in the current modern day. And now he's the most popular, important person, you know, in the country for this. I, I, it's just fascinating how you've got these, these incredible experts, because so much of this is about history, right? This is, we are making history because one of the things these briefs really did a good job, I thought of spelling out is our democracies on the line. This is all about whether or not we want to be a constitutional democracy or not. That's what's at stake here. And the briefs, what's interesting about this issue, because it's so out in the public sphere and it's been litigated now in multiple states, the, the issues, the legal issues and the moral issues and the, the things that people are, are saying like, oh, come on, just let the people decide. Just let them be on the ballot. Let you know. Let them be on the ballot and let let the people decide. That's what a democracy is. Because those arguments are out there and people are making them. Each of these briefs, I thought, did an excellent job of tackling the arguments head on, and and not, in addition to presenting their case, also addressed the um, the the arguments that people are making. And so so I thought they did an excellent job. At, at at that and look you know the to me the most compelling arguments are things like the the fact that the the main brief the colorado brief um said that basically just like we can't be forced to put someone on the ballot who's not of age or who's already been twice elected president of the united states we can't say oh but let the people decide, right? You're saying just let let the people decide. Well, we're not going to if you're not at least 35 years old or if you are Barack Obama. And as much as I would do anything to have him be president again, the Constitution forbids it because he's already been president twice. Um, that that they it's it's very much the same here, and that they shouldn't be forced to put Donald Trump on the ballot, and that there's over 130 years of Colorado election law precedent that allows the courts to decide who's qualified to be on the ballot or not. And and the lower court determined that Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection. Uh, the appellate court, uh, but although the lower court said, but it, but it doesn't apply to the president. This this. Um, the the amendment section three, the 14th amendment section three, the appellate court re reversed that, right? The Supreme Court of Colorado reversed that. And so really what they're just asking the United States Supreme Court is to uphold the decision of uh, the lower court. And and the and the amicus briefs, like I said, you know, we did a really good job at, at essentially saying, setting the stage that this is about democracy. This is about sending a message that nobody's above the law. And and that the historians, what they what they added to this was that look, there's two issues that the founding fathers feared: one, a violent insurrection, and two, executive tyranny. Right. So that's why they have checks and balances. There's three branches, three separate but equal branches. The entire Constitution was designed to protect against executive tyranny that that's exactly what they were 
what they were rebelling from when, when they came over from England. And that is why the Constitution was uh, absolutely designed the way they did. And it's not, and they, they also said it's not just a matter of let the people decide, because if that were the case, Hillary Clinton would be president, right? Because she had the majority of, she would have been president over Donald Trump because she had the majority of votes. But no, that's not how our constitutional democracy runs. And we follow the rules, we follow the law. And there aren't two separate sets of rules that that this that section three of the 14th amendment is not anti-democratic which is what all the maga people say is let them be on the ballot it's anti-democratic let the majority decide well they you know again they said look if that were the case hillary clinton would have been president if you just let the majority decide i also loved um uh, that one of the briefs, I think it was Common Cause, cited a 1787 letter from Jefferson to Madison. And it said, in an uncanny prophecy of petitioners' efforts to stay in office in 2020, Thomas Jefferson warned that an incumbent president defeated in a close re-election campaign might, quote, pretend false votes and foul play, end quote, in an effort to illegitimately, quote, hold possession of the reins of government, end quote. And that's a letter from Jefferson to Madison, December 20th, 1787. And so this is, it's just that they've done a great job at showing that this is something that the founding fathers um, warned us about, and they designed the constitution to not allow this to occur. And that if, if yep. the Supreme Court doesn't allow this, it's really upending uh, our democracy. And I'll I'll do a bookend. You did the 1780, you know, um, old timey founding fathers thing. Yeah, um, Mike Ludig in his brief ended it this way. He said, "Ultimately, this case has a virtual confession." On December third, twenty twenty two, Mr. Trump posted that his unfounded accusation of widespread election fraud, quote, allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. He, he had said as much of the same in his January 6th speech on the ellipse, quote, when you catch somebody in fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. Mr. Trump deliberately tried to break the Constitution to incite threatened and actual armed force to prevent the peaceful transfer of executive power mandated by the executive vesting clause. And, and as a result, he should be barred from the ballot. I mean, this, and, and let me put this, this is Michael Ludig. Okay. If you had told me before legal AF and I, you know, I, before we started this whole thing, that one day I would not only be complete in agreement with Michael Ludick, but I would have him on the show and interview him. I'd be like, you're kidding me, right? But as I said in a, in a hot take that's running right now, he stepped off the sidelines of history. I mean, he was almost on the Supreme Court at one point. And, you know, he um, he's, he's regarded as the person who tweeted to save democracy. His tweet at just the right moment um, about the calling Donald Trump out as somebody who had who was trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power, and more importantly, gave proper guidance and public guidance to Mike Pence to give him the backbone that he was sorely lacking and shove a rod up his backside in order for him not to cave to Donald Trump's entreaties to stop the certification. 
and just turn it over to the states, which would have picked Donald Trump as president. That's all Mike, Michael Ludick. He's, he's on the Mount Rushmore of federalist society, right-wing conservative judges, okay? That's not the guy that would have been my pick for the United States Supreme Court, in other words. But look how he has stepped forward and has gotten attacked mercilessly as a result of it, along with these other people like George Conway and others, to, to oppose what they see as what the founding fathers, the framers and you know from the Civil War era, what they envisioned happening, that they wanted stopped, and they baked it into an amendment of the Constitution. Think about this. This is not just a statute that was passed by Congress, okay? You know how hard it is to change a constitutional amendment? The Equal Rights Amendment died already, and that, and that was in the 70s. We can't change it. We can't change the Constitution given our political division right now. But back then, they felt it was so important that they amended the Constitution three or four times in this same 1787 period in order to protect Black Americans, newly freed slaves, and to prevent an insurrectionist from ever coming back into the government again because they foresaw that, the, as you said, Karen, the popul the popularity of a Confederate um, insurrectionist like Jeff, Davis, Jeff Davison could restore him to the presidency of America or, or put him in as the president of America. And they never wanted that to happen. They were going to make sure that was not going to happen by what they wrote. And now I'm sorry, Chief Justice Roberts, you and the rest of the originalists and textualists have to, you know, what was good for the goose is good for the gander. You thought it was okay to find a Second Amendment right almost unlimited to have a handgun and other weapons in your home unless there was some old tiny regulation that was similar to a regulation being proposed today. You ripped away a woman's right to choose because you couldn't find it. You looked everywhere. You couldn't find it in the literal text of the Constitution. What about this? It's in the literal text. It doesn't say, well, if you can't figure it out, let's just forget about it. It's just words on a page. Just ignore our amendment doesn't say that. And it doesn't say go back to Congress because Donald Trump's argument is, well, Congress needs to decide. No, Congress only decides after you've been disqualified whether they're going to they're going to take away your disqualification at all. That's up to Congress, but not the act of banning you from the ballot and taking you off the ballot completely. That's not for the American people to decide. It's for the it's for the 14th Amendment to be applied. Sorry, it's the only way I can put that. Let's switch gears to something completely more lighthearted. And I'm going to let you lead on this one. As always, for the final word, we're going to talk about um, uh, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, who, listen, I gave a lot of kudos to when I found out she had the highest grossing concert in uh, concert uh, tour in history, the Eras Tour. One, She's worth over a billion dollars. She has these loyal fans called Swifties. She's encouraged them to vote. She's she's done what a lot of a lot of um uh celebrities don't do frankly and sport heroes don't do anymore, which she's taken a position in civic life about things that she thinks is right and wrong and about politics. And she's now getting somehow repaid by it. Talk about what Mag is doing to her and what do you think the impact of it is? I think it it boomerangs on them. But what do you think the impact of taking on Taylor Swift as an as a operative of the Biden administration? Look, Taylor Swift is 
universally be loved. I can't tell you how many people, myself included, who watched a football game this weekend because I was rooting for Taylor Swift's boyfriend's team, okay? I understand from people that Travis Kelsey was, uh, like, is a good football player. And was, was, also, somebody- was also there. Well, yeah, exactly. That that he was he was a, a celebrity in his own right um, before he started dating <laughs> dating T- Taylor Swift. But I'm sorry, Taylor Swift is she's the real deal. She's first of all, her music's amazing. Second of all, she's she's just very real and wholesome, and she just says what she believes. And whether she's very much into uh, LGBT and tra- you know just just. Just love and love who you want, and and really being a supporter and an ally of 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 people who who struggle with that. Um, and you know, she just she just speaks from the heart. Whether the good, the bad, the ugly, whether it's relationships, whether it's the guy who who um, bought the entire her entire collection of music and 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 owned it and and wouldn't let her couldn't and, and couldn't pay, she couldn't play her music so she re-recorded it all I mean she's just she puts her head down she does her work and she she doesn't get distracted by by um, by the noise in the background whether it's whether it's misogyny or, or other people who have tried to to bring her down and i think people love her as a result because she's not someone who who at least gives the impression of being fake or phony or just out to make money she went on her on her tours she spreads the wealth you know she she in addition to uh according to salty has boosted the the u.s gdp um the federal reserve no on that note the federal reserve report for the quarter that the era's tour toured reported that in all the cities that she she so impacted the economy in the cities that are tour hit that the federal reserve commented on it positively as something that moved the needle for the u.s economy yeah, I mean, look, and but in addition to that, the people around her, whether it was the workers, the the people who worked in the stadiums or worked on the in the in in her in her orbit or in the communities that she was in, she was very generous with them, and and so as a result, and it, and it and it doesn't look like a stunt. It looks like that's who she really is. She does it quietly, and she does it because she's just seems like and gives the impression all around as just being a really good person in addition to having great music. And so she's beloved, right? Like the Swifties are a thing for a reason. She's amazing. And then she started dating, you know, somebody who seems like it's it's going to stick, right? And it turns out he's a football player. And I think that the NFL and and alpha males and macho men and that whole thing, that's MAGA's red meat. That's their bread and butter, right? That's their territory. And they see Taylor Swift uh, and Travis Kelsey getting serious, apparently, and their head is exploding because she's just telling people to get out and vote. She's not telling them who to vote for. She hasn't endorsed a candidate, but they know that if, if, if she gets people to actually go out and register to vote and vote, that it could be, it could have an impact. And they feel threatened clearly because they're going after her and they have spun the most ridiculous conspiracy theory so ridiculous that I don't even, uh, I don't even, I can't even, I can't even um, say it perfectly. So I'm going to have Salty play a clip uh, 
of them, of Fox freaking out over her. We have had enough of Taylor Swift for now. She shouldn't be liberal. She should be a total conservative, given what, given everything. The Pentagon PSYOP unit pitched NATO on turning Taylor Swift into an asset. Yesterday, she flew private from New York City to Baltimore. Yet she constantly talks about climate change. So just please don't believe everything Taylor Swift says. We're all begging you. I think she should just stick to her singing and let her love life be what it is. The New York Times just speculated she's a lesbian. A new poll shows 18% of voters are likely to vote for whichever candidate Taylor Swift endorses. Uh-oh. Biden effectively has Taylor Swift as his VP. A single post of hers led to 35,000 new registrants. That's arguably more power than the president. She's sharing links. And her boyfriend, Travis Kelty, sponsored by Pfizer. Uh, what's her stance on policy, economic <laughs> policy, foreign policy? Should I don't think, that, I don't think that'll be uh... So don't get involved. Don't get involved in politics. We don't want to see you there. I mean, come on. They're, going, they're losing their mind. Because... Hey, can, I, can I ask you something? I mean, I know this drives Fox News, but what, what the heck does Maria Bartiromo's opinion matter about politics? What does Judge, whatever her name is, Judge Pirro, matter I mean, I, Taylor Swift has every bit of a First Amendment right to express whatever her civic or political views are as anybody else. And the fact that it gets amplified and trampolined because of her her, her base, and they're scared. What you heard yeah. there, if I was going to if I was yeah. going to read that, the readout of that is they are effing scared. There was yep. one in, there was one thing buried in that in that montage. That it's like the Rocky montage that um, that Salty put together was whoever Taylor Swift says to vote for, twenty four percent of the people will vote for. Oh my God! Yes, yes, because right now I just saw a terrible statistic that said that that uh, Joe Biden is down in five out of seven battleground states, unless unless. Donald Trump is convicted, and then 55% of even MAGA Republicans won't vote for a convicted Donald Trump. Hence, the Stormy Daniels election interference case is really, really important because even those red meat, red MAGA hat wearing people won't vote for a convicted criminal. And we're hoping they don't vote for they don't vote for Taylor Swift either. And by the way, on the one thing, the PSYOP, that's because Voice of America which we used to like. It's part of Stars and Stripes. It's part of America's voice in the world used um, used uh, Taylor Swift instead of a washed up D-list uh, celebrity. Yeah, that's smart. That doesn't make her a uh, Venturian candidate. No, but they've also said because I guess t uh, Travis Kelsey, who's her boyfriend, I guess they said that he also sponsors Pfizer, who does the COVID vaccine, and Bud Light. Right, which is oh uh, he does those commercials, right? <laughs> Don't forget, right? Exactly. So those, are, those, those. That's why. That's how. That's how they've they've said that somehow she was a plant that they were date that they started dating as a plant. And then I guess somebody threw the game so that they could get to the Super Bowl. Like, I don't know how else, how they could have devised this crazy conspiracy theory. It's just- I got bad news for them. I got bad news for them. If they think they're gonna do, they're gonna swift boat, no pun intended, Taylor Swift uh, and bring her down. Uh, and like they try to do with Colin Kaepernick, and people that that you know uh, you know kneel during the the whatever and and the uh, the transgender uh, spokesperson for Bud Light ain't ain't happening as you just laid out so eloquently it ain't happening with Taylor Swift and the people well, that follow her 
If they Salty, think if they is- think eighteen year eighteen year olds who vote who also like Taylor Swift are gonna follow are gonna go hmm, Fox has a point. Maybe I shouldn't follow her because she drove a she flew a jet to go see the you know Kansas City take on Baltimore. Yeah, no. Not Salty happening. didn't didn't Donald Trump um didn't Donald Trump say I don't care something he 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 postured and said oh go ahead and go ahead and vote for her I don't care because I'm more popular you know something oh, like that right I'm more popular than Taylor Swift yeah okay no way I'm gonna no posit way. something and see if Salty can make this make make the needle the needle move in in uh, in the universe um, uh, Joe Biden drops Kamala Harris and puts Taylor Swift on the ticket oh, is this God. like a no brainer. No brainer. <laughs> he doesn't need to do that. We like Kamala anyway, Harris. It's fun. But anyway, but thank, uh, thank you for indulging me on no, the Taylor Swift thing. But she, she, I, when a woman gets mercil- mercilessly and senselessly and ridiculously attacked by MAGA, I want to be one of the vo- not that obviously nobody cares what I have to say compared to Taylor Swift and she doesn't need what I have to say, but certainly I, I like Fonnie Willis, I want to weigh in and because it's, you know, women in general and anybody who sees that happening, I think has to call it out. And so, so I appreciate you. I don't know about, I don't know about mainstream media and all, but I don't think there's three anchors, um, you, me and Ben who are more, supportive and defenders of of women and women in leadership and power than on this network i just don't i just haven't seen it um you know we just it comes from the heart it just we we call out misogyny when we see it and we're just not going to allow it to happen i think it was important i do now having rounded out the podcast i think it was important that we talked about it but we've reached the end the midweek edition of legal af we thought we were going to talk about judge angoron's decision to whack it Whack it to Donald Trump to a tune of over $500 million, but that's going to have to wait for either the weekend edition with Ben Ellis or next week with Karen and me. So until uh, we uh, meet again on Saturday and Wednesdays with Karen, a couple of ways you can help support our network besides um, patronizing our um, sponsors uh, is also a lot of free things. Free subscribe to the Midas Touch Network. Two million was a blast. Three million is even better. We'd like to get three million subscribers by next year. That would be fantastic. You can do that with your thumbs and fingers uh, by just going out and subscribing while you're watching this YouTube. Leave a comment and a thumbs up on this particular um, Legal AF. It helps with the algorithm. Then you can go over to our um, audio podcast platforms where Legal AF is on every one of them, Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it, we're there. Go listen to this uh, this podcast or go back and forth. It's both free, but it really does boost our numbers and helps keep the lights on and us on the air. And then we have us, if you want to fly the flag of Legal AF, we got a store you can buy merchandise from. There it is, store.midastouch.com. That's a great way to support us. And then the... Uh, we do uh, hot takes now. We call them Legal AF After Dark. They're little mini podlets. We take each of the segments from an episode like this, and I'll do an introduction of it so you know it's going to be Legal AF After Dark. And if you already saw the show, heard the show, know all about it, um, take that 
and send it over. It's like a gateway introduction. That was a drug for the show that you can send as a little teaser appetizer to people in your life and say, hey, you know that show Legal AF that I talked to you about? I know you may not want to just devote a whole hour to it, but listen here, here's a segment of it. Go listen to it. Maybe something you'd like and you can send that off to them. So that's that's something you can do. And, and uh, we also post it for people, frankly, who don't who aren't part of our audience. I mean, we do get, you know, beautiful numbers. We get, you know, almost a million people a week that watch our two shows, but there's people that watch other content on the Midas Touch Network and don't know about Legal AF, and we're trying to reach that audience too, or for people that miss the show. And there, there's, oh, I want to hear that particular way that Karen talked about, you know, something, or, hey, I want to get that clip about um, Taylor Swift. You know, there it is. It'll be, you'll see it in the next couple of days as we put it up on the same YouTube channel. So, until our next legal AF, let's bring Karen back. Uh, there she is. Until our next, and for those that don't know, I'll remind people that Karen is, we talked about the Manhattan DA's office. She's um, helping fictional Manhattan district attorneys on a show, a little show we like to call legal, uh, I was at legal AF, a little show that called <laughs> Law and Order, should be called Law and Order AF. Uh, Oh, and she's sitting in whose office is that on the show? This is Lieutenant Dixon. Uh, this is her office. So the, this is it's funny. So there's on the stage, there's the, the courtroom, the DA's office and the police station. And that's all that's all on the on the stage. And right now I'm in the police station yeah. where I typically it's funny because I could go to the Manhattan DA's office. People thinks, think <laughs> to record this. Right. People think yeah. that's where I'd be more comfortable. But for whatever reason, I love I'm always in lieutenant to me. This is where I feel most comfortable. Right. I love this office. I, I like it because um, over your left shoulder, there is a a, a flag that reflects that somebody, um, and I have one because my dad was in the armed services and when he died, I was presented his flag by a bugle corps and I have that flag in my office in a very similar box yeah. that usually means somebody has died or, or a law enforcement in this case. And so I really let yeah, nice- Yeah, we have Mark's fothers as well. My yeah. husband, sorry, his fathers as well. It's a nice touch, and I, whenever I'm looking at you, I'm always looking at that and thinking about my dad. But until our next Legal AF, we have a shout-out now to the Midas Mighty and the Legal AFers. Mm-hmm.